I'd like you to turn with me to the letter to the Romans and to chapter 12. And the verse that we shall be considering together tonight is verse 16. Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So reads the word of God. Living in a bilingual country, we are used to translations. Sometimes they result in strange phrases in the receiving language, especially perhaps on road signs or when people decide to use Google Translate rather than asking someone who really knows the language. Sometimes you get a literal translation that's quite different in meaning from the original. More often than not, though, those that speak the original language, Welsh particularly in our country, they'll say, well, this is what it means in English, but actually something gets lost in the translation. It doesn't really capture that meaning. And we're used to that, aren't we? Things do tend to sometimes get lost in the translation. And that's true of our text this evening. We know, of course, that the the Bible was originally not written in English. Every English Bible that we read is a translation and and they have relative merits and demerits as well. Even reading in English, you can sense that something is not quite right in this verse. I hope you do anyway. Take this phrase. Be willing to associate with people of low position. That sound right to you? It's doesn't, does it? It sounds rather arrogant. It sounds like you're looking down on somebody and you're saying, well, you know, that, that person is in a much lower situation than I am. Lower position. But, but I'm going to condescend to, to speak to them. And, and in some versions of the Bible, you actually get that word. Condescend to men of low estate. And quite rightly, we say that condescension is an evil, heartless thing. When you look down on someone and you deign to come down to their level and to pretend to be like them, but all the time you're thinking of yourself being above them, it's quite distasteful. And perhaps we could say, well, be willing to associate be willing to perhaps accommodate yourself. That's a little bit better. But even so, it's, it's not quite capturing the meaning. And again, live in harmony with one another. 
it just slightly misses the mark. In writing this verse, Paul the Apostle actually tells us how we are to live in harmony with one another. But it's sort of missed there. No, I'm not blaming translators. It's, It's not an easy task with this verse. The little that I do know tells me that. I think the best that we have is probably the New King James Version. This is what the New King James Version says. This is verse 16 of Romans 12 in the New King James Version. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Now, I think that is is pretty good. And what is particularly good about that translation is that three times it does repeat Paul's reference to a word that means the mind or the thinking. Three times in this verse, you have a word that means the mind or the thinking, the way that we think. And and that's completely absent from the NIV. This verse is all about how we think and therefore how we behave because how you think will always affect how you behave, won't it? That's true of, of everything in life. And particularly this verse is about how we think about one another in the church. So it's most important for us to grasp that, that that's what the verse is about. Three times we have this same word or an associated one. The word refers to to the mind and to the thinking. So the NIV says live in harmony. But in that phrase is the first word about thinking. Think the same towards one another. Well, The New King James was good, wasn't it? Be of the same mind towards one another. Not not be the same mind as one another. That's a slightly different thing. Be of the same mind towards one another. We can see how live in harmony is a result of that. Do not be proud, we read as well. Do not be proud. Again, there's a word to do with thinking. Don't be proud in your thinking. Don't think proud things. And then the last phrase, don't be conceited. Again, perhaps a a looser translation, but one that you will all immediately grasp. Don't think yourself smarter than others. That's what conceited is, isn't it? You think yourself smarter than somebody else. So don't think yourself smarter than others. This is still part of the chapter in Romans 12 where where Paul is dealing with our reactions and how those reactions will show whether we are truly Christians. Reacting in this way will be a strong and a powerful witness to outsiders of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and of our likeness, of course, to the Lord Jesus. How will people who are outside of the church or outside of the kingdom of God, how will they know that we are Christians? Well, it has to be 
because of the way that we behave and the way that we act, but also the way that we react. And they will be clear as to the way that Christians act towards one another. They will know how Christian churches behave. They may never have been inside a church, but they will know what Christians think of one another in the church and how they react to one another. We need to measure ourselves against this verse and we need to repent where we find ourselves falling short and we need to seek grace to live like this verse. So the first thing then that the Apostle Paul is urging upon us in the authority of the Holy Spirit is this. We are to think well of one another. Think well of one another. Live in harmony with one another. The first situation that the Apostle Paul tackles is the way that you think of one another in the church. And that's a very important thing, isn't it? Far before we ever say anything to one another, before we ever act towards one another, it's how we think of one another. So be of the same mind towards one another. As in in many other passages in Paul's writings, there is the idea of thinking the same things. And that that is important as a church, isn't it? We need to be united in the truth. This is why the word of God is of such importance within the church, because the word of God will govern the way that we think. This is why we come together every Lord's Day. It is so that the word of God will influence our thinking throughout the week, we will have all sorts of different thoughts. And not only that, we'll, have, we'll be bombarded by the thoughts of the world and the attitudes of the world around us and the culture in which we necessarily live. So on the Lord's Day, and of course individually during the week, but especially on the Lord's Day, we come together in order to make sure that our thinking is in line with the Word of God. That's exactly what we're doing tonight. I don't think that any of us would naturally be led to conclude the things that are written in this verse if we didn't have the Bible. That's very important, isn't it? That we should think the same things. We need to be united in the truth of the gospel. We need to agree on the things that we believe. And when we do this, there's no friction. Rather, there's peace. As the Apostle says in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, the God of love and peace will be with us when we are of one mind. And again, in Philippians, he tells the Philippian Christians that they must be like-minded, chapter 2, verse 2. They must have the same love. They must be one in spirit and in purpose. And again, in Philippians 4 and verse 2, there were two ladies in the church, weren't they? Euodia and Syntyche. And he urges them, what does he urge them? To be of the same mind. To agree with each other. And not to continue that argument that seems to have caused so much trouble in that church. So you see, it's a great theme in the New Testament, isn't it? To be of one mind as one another. But again, this verse is not saying only that. It's saying more than that. This verse is saying that we are to be of one mind towards one another. In other words, there mustn't be any discordant thoughts 
and attitude towards one another. It's very easy, isn't it, to, to start thinking in a wrong way about other people in the church. When you begin to think of something about another Christian, something that is harsh, perhaps unfair, unnecessarily critical about them. How easy it is to begin to form a picture of another brother or sister within the church. And soon that will colour the way that you not only think about them, but the way that you behave towards them. I'm sure you have experienced this. I certainly have. It's, it's, it's a very easy thing, very easy sin to fall into. And, and if there mustn't be any discordant thoughts towards one another, we must therefore live in harmony. And, and so we come back to the NIV. Live in harmony with one another. You will know that in music there are two things. There is melody and there is harmony. A melody is a series of single notes and they're played one after another. A tune, in other words. And that melody, that tune, is, is read from left to right and it progresses and it's a, it's a particular little theme. But it's normally just a series of single notes. What's harmony? Well, harmony is two or more notes all played together at the same time. And you don't read it across from left to right. You read it up and down because these notes are being played together and they form a most wonderful sense of harmony. They are they're sounding all the different notes and they're blending together as one whole. And, and that's it. You see, in the church, there isn't a place for melody. There isn't a place for a single theme from one person to dominate all the rest. It's a place for harmony. Melody is very much like the children in the street that the Lord Jesus mentions. You remember just before, actually, the passage that we read in, in Luke chapter 7. This is what the Lord Jesus says of the people of his generation. He says, what are they like? He says, well, they're, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. Luke 7 verse 32. You see what the Lord is saying. These children in the street were trying to control the other children. Oh, I'll play a nice little tune for you and you can dance to it. Oh, I'll sing a dirge and you can cry. They're play acting, aren't they? They're playing a game. But whereas that is probably very acceptable for children, it certainly isn't for adults to behave like that. No one in the church should be playing a tune that they expect everybody else to dance to. There needs to be harmony, thinking the same things. And it begins with thinking kind thoughts towards one another and allowing our thinking to lead to harmonious relationships. 
So that is the first thing that the apostle is, is telling us here. And even at that stage, you see how difficult this is. This is not natural. This is something that can only be achieved with the work of the Holy Spirit, transforming the way that we think, as the apostle tells us at the beginning of the chapter. But not only are we to think well of one another and therefore live in harmony, we are to become one in mind and heart with humble people. Become one in mind and heart with humble people. So the second situation that Paul addresses is slightly different. Now he's not thinking of the whole church and thinking of the way that we all think of one another. This time he's recognizing that within every church there are going to be differences. We're not all the same. We know that, but he's making the point because sometimes we either forget that or we overemphasize it. There are always going to be differences between people in any church. In fact, if you ever find a church where everybody is the same, then I would suggest that's not a New Testament church. This is a gathering of people who happen to be attracted to one another because they like the same things or they're from the same background or so on. That's not a church. A church will, by the power and activity of the Holy Spirit, a church will be formed of people from all different backgrounds. Because that's what God does. He calls people from every different type of background and every type of person as well and every different personality. That is the great diversity that there is within the church. And it's something to be so thankful for, isn't it? So there are going to be differences between people. There are going to be economic differences between people. We're not all going to have the same income. Some are going to have an income way above others. And then there's going to be a difference intellectually as well, depending on how far we went in the education system. There's going to be differences socially as well, aren't there? We have no control over our birth. We have no control over the family that we are born into. We are given certain abilities and capacities, and these will differ from one another. Each one will have strengths, but each one will also have weaknesses. We are different in that respect. And the wonderful thing is that although you can't choose your birth family, when you're born again and you become part of the church of Christ, you come into a family that accepts all. We have different positions in the church as well, don't we? And we have different positions in the local community as well. Someone might be a local councillor or a magistrate or perhaps the owner of a business or a doctor or a solicitor an elder or a deacon. And all these positions in society, in the church, they can easily be seen to be higher positions than other people, demanding respect from those who are deemed lower. And consequently, it would be very easy to look down on someone in the church who you think is in a lower position than yourself. This would be particularly true of the church in Rome, that Paul is writing to. Remember that he's writing in the context of a society that 
accepted slavery. And the wonderful thing about the church is that, as Paul says in another place, there is no distinction. Slave or free, they are one in Christ. Also, they were living in a culture where women were considered, in many areas, to be of a lower status and certainly not equal to men. How wonderful then to find a church where men and women are equal and one in Christ. That's the context, isn't it, of of the church in Rome and of the New Testament churches. But it's, it's no different in our society, even though slavery has been abolished. There's still going to be these differences between us. And it would be so easy to look down on someone in the church whom we think is in a lower position to ourselves. James puts it so graphically, doesn't he? So memorably in his letter, as so often James is, is a book of wonderful pictures. Listen to this one, James 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Again, it's that same emphasis, isn't it? Evil thoughts. So how do you avoid that? Because we have to accept that that is a very real temptation. And it's a very present reality in many churches. So how do we avoid that? Well, again, our verse in Romans 12, 16, it tells us, you avoid it, first of all, by not thinking proud thoughts about yourself. Isn't the whole problem that we think ourselves to be in a higher position, a greater position than others? You need to get your thinking about yourself straight, first of all. Who are you, after all? You are a sinner, saved by grace. That's what you are. In the end, it doesn't matter what else you might be. It doesn't matter what others might think of you or even the position that you may have in society. Whatever position we do have in society is God-given anyway. But at heart, at root, we are all one because we're all sinners saved by grace. And you are a brother or a sister of everyone else who is saved. There's no distinction of class or intellect or wealth. So think right thoughts about yourself. As the verse says, don't be proud. Don't think proud thoughts about yourself. Come down off that high pedestal that you've put yourself on. That's the first step, isn't it? But then there's a second step. The second step is by becoming one with humble people. That's a much better way of understanding this phrase, be willing to associate with people of low position. 
It's troubled me, that, that little phrase. It's troubled me all the time in preparing this. And I was so thankful to study harder and to find some very wise comments on this verse. Better to think of it in this way. Be, become one with humble people. Accommodate yourself to lowly people. I think accommodate is better than associate, although it's still not brilliant. But you know about accommodation, don't you? You accommodate yourself to the situation you're in. You're staying with somebody and uh, you're shown into the bedroom and uh, you immediately look at the bed and uh, you discover that it is far too short for you. I've never had that problem, but it is theoretically possible. And, and so the bed is too short. You're looking at this bed and you just know that you are not going to be comfortable on that bed. It's far too short. What do you do? Well, instead of complaining to your host, you accommodate yourself. You fold your legs up and you make yourself fit the bed. You're accommodating yourself to the situation. And so, with people who are humble, you humble yourself. You recognize that actually, you are not in a higher position than them at all. You're in the same position. And the place of humility is the best place to be anyway. So you don't talk down to people in the church who are not like you. You don't appear superior to them. You don't ignore them and hive off with others who are more like you. But you become one with them. Because Jesus did just that, didn't he? What did the Lord Jesus say about himself? He was meek and lowly of heart. Our Lord Jesus was meek and humble, and he associated with all sorts of people. But the remarkable thing about our dear Saviour is that although he was the king of glory, he was at home with the rich as he was with the poor. He was at home with the intelligence and he was at home with the lowly. Tax collectors and sinners were his speciality. He loved to be with them. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, found Jesus inviting himself to his home. The sinful woman that we read of in Luke chapter 7 found herself welcomed by the Lord Jesus, even though the man who owned the house felt that she was beneath Jesus. If only Jesus knew the sort of person that she was. You see, he was being an example of exactly the opposite of what we are saying. He was one who thought himself above this woman. Jesus had to remind him that he also was a sinner. The difference was that this woman knew that she was. And she had been forgiven greatly. And therefore she was loving greatly. Again, Jesus touched lepers. In a society where people kept away from lepers, Jesus touched them. And he even humbled himself to go into the womb of his mother Mary. She 
recognized this, didn't she? In Luke 1, verse 52, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Jesus lifted her up. She was just a humble young woman living in Nazareth. But the Lord Jesus entered her womb, and he raised her up. He didn't enter the womb of some princess living in some palace. He came into the womb of a very humble, ordinary young woman. And in doing so, he showed his identification with her, becoming one with people who are lowly. That's what we're being told to do here. That's what it means in the church. It means that we are to be one with those who are humble. Again, James helps us, as he so often does, doesn't he? His book is a challenge to us, a great challenge. We should read it regularly. James chapter 1 and verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, where the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower right and proper situation for a Christian is to recognize our humble position but rejoice that we are so blessed by our God you see there is no hierarchy in the church there is no top to bottom in the church There is no one at the pinnacle of the church's life. There is a reason why those who are elders and deacons bear the name of servant. Because that is what they are to do. Serve the church. The very word minister, although we sometimes invest it with some great sense of position, simply means servant, doesn't it? To minister to someone is to serve their needs. And the word deacon means servant. There is no hierarchy in the church. And there must be no cliques of the wealthy people over and against the poor. No one must be put on a pedestal because they're of a higher social or economic status or because they have a higher position in the church. We are to be humble and lowly like our saviour that's the challenge of this verse you see that's what the church must be that is what God designed for his people live in harmony with one another don't be proud so be willing to associate with people of low position be willing to become one with those who are humble and lowly you become humble and lowly yourself Be like your saviour. There's one final phrase in the verse. As if we haven't felt the sharp arrows of conviction already. We have this final sentence. Do not be conceited. Don't think yourself smarter than others. The final situation that the Apostle Paul deals with is a situation in the church that we might call intellectual snobbery. And it's very common. It's very damaging as well to the church. 
it's destroyed many churches. Never be wise in your own sight. That's how the English Standard Version puts it. Great translation. Never be wise in your own sight. You see, it, this, this situation in the church begins when we start thinking that we are cleverer than somebody else. That we actually know more than they do. Now, factually, that may be true. But when you begin to think like that, you begin to be puffed up in your thinking, don't you? It leads you to think that somehow you know more than somebody else does. Again, factually, that might be true. If you have been a Christian for some time, you will no doubt know the scriptures better than someone who's only recently been converted. And it's certainly true that within a church, when a young minister comes to a church, there will be probably a number of people in the church who know the Bible far better than he does. And, and many of us have experienced as you go into a church and you think, well, I'm preaching to people, but they know the Bible better than, than I do. But how wonderful when those people are gracious, when they are humble-minded, and when they come along and encourage a young pastor. How terrible when they start criticizing him and say, you didn't get that right this morning, did you? It's not what the verse says, is it? There are ways, aren't there? There are ways of dealing with one another. And if you end up thinking that you know more than somebody else, you end up thinking that your own opinion is more important than the opinion of other people, and you don't have time for other people's opinions. So what do you do? Well, you end up either shouting them down or you shut your ears to them. We won't be changed once we've made up our minds. We're right and other people are wrong. And that is sin. And it's one of the worst sins, isn't it? The sin of intellectual snobbery. Pride. It was the sin of Satan in heaven, wasn't it? Wasn't that his great sin? Thinking that he knew better than God? Isn't that what led to him being thrown out of heaven? Because of his conceitedness, his pride. It was a sin of Eve in the Garden of Eden, wasn't it? She was tempted to think that somehow she knew better than God. Because Satan had said, you shall not surely die. God knows that when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so she immediately thought that she did know better than God. And that led to the most dreadful fall into sin. Intellectual snobbery leads to stubbornness and to rebellion, as it did in Eden. How we think about ourselves is crucial. So don't think yourself smarter than others. How is it possible to live like this in the church? You see... It would be much easier, wouldn't it, to group together with people who are like us, even within the church. And the bigger the church, the easier that is. Because in a big church, you can easily find a group within that church that are like you. The smaller the church, the more necessary it is that everybody gets to know everybody else. And there is a great joy in a small church. How easy it is for us to just group together with people who are like us and in so doing to look down on others and even to exclude them from your talk and possibly from your prayers as well. 
it's very natural to have our own opinions, isn't it? And to believe that we are right. I don't think anyone yet has had an opinion and believed that they were wrong until that opinion was challenged. How tempting it is to want to play the tune that others must dance to rather than to live in harmony and to fit in with others. How are these things possible? How can even this one verse be lived out in the Christian church? The answer has already been told to us, hasn't it? In the first two verses. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Offer the parts of your body to God. Here is my mind. Here are my thoughts. Lord, govern my thoughts. Teach me your ways. Instruct me from your word. May my thinking and my attitudes and my opinions be guided by your word and not by my own heart or the culture around me. Teach me that I might live in harmony with others in the church. Teach me that I might be one with all who are humble because I myself are humble as well. Save me from thinking that I myself am somehow better than others or have moved further on than others or have more thoughts that are accurate than others. It's only by transformation of mind that the ho by the Holy Spirit that these attitudes and behaviours become natural to us. But it's what a church should be and it's what a church will be if everyone seeks the grace of God and the transformation of mind and heart that is of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, the outside world starts to take notice. See these Christians, they say. See how they love one another. Well, may God grant that we might be those people. We finish with a hymn that I'll read, 376 in the Christian hymns. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Before our Father's throne we pour our ardent prayers, our fears, our hopes, our aims, our one, our comforts and our cares. We share our mutual woes, our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. When for a while we part, this thought will soothe our pain, that we will still be joined in heart and hope to meet again. This glorious hope revives our courage by the way while each in expectation lives and longs to see the day. From sorrow, toil and pain and sin we shall be free 
and perfect love and friendship reign 